Well, good morning. It's a joy and privilege to be with you this morning. I just want you to know, you um, second service people, that you are more spiritual than the first service. This morning I panicked. I looked around at one minute to nine and there was nobody in here. And I thought, oh my goodness, they heard I was coming back. At least you turn up at three minutes before, so that's not so bad. It's just a joy to be with you and um, folks here that I've been speaking occasionally at West Town um, and they ask me what it's like. I've been bragging on you guys, so if you see a lot of new visitors coming up, it's yours truly. Um, I've met with the elders a couple times and they're great guys. I love the music team. I love all the kids that are in the congregation. And um, I was meeting with a bunch of pastors for lunch this week, and I said, they actually listen when I speak. So I'm very grateful. Having flattered you, would you please listen? <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the fellowship together. Bless us now as we hear your word in Christ's name. Amen. Everything's been going great, just great in Israel. Yes, Moses, their servant, had died, but the Lord had given them Joshua. His name, you remember, means God saves. And then something incredible had happened, taking courage and strength as they had been told to do. They had to cross the Jordan when suddenly, it was at flood stage, when suddenly something happened upstream and the, the waters were cut off and with the ark before them and as they went through with the ark in the middle of them, they crossed right over into the promised land they're no longer eating that manner that came down in the wilderness. Now they're eating the fruits of the land. And then they've got to take Jericho. It's the first big city that they come to. And the people of Jericho are scared. They've got, they're all locked in. And instead of um, having to starve them out or something, the Lord tells them to march around the city once every seven days, seven times on the seventh day, and shout. And sure enough, the walls came down and they realized that the victory had been given to them from the Lord. But now in Joshua chapter 7, I hope you'll read it when you go home, although I'll be quoting the main verses for you. In Joshua chapter 7, something very, very bad takes place. They, they, I'll get to it eventually. And when we start thinking about what has happened, why is it um, that, that this, is, this terrible thing has taken place, we're going to see certain attitudes. The thing was that Joshua had got some spies, and he told the spies to go up to a city called Ai. I, my, my Hebrew is terrible. It's Ai, however you pronounce it. And he, they're to go up there and come back with a report. And they come back to Joshua, and they are just brimming with confidence. Joshua, it's going to be a piece of cake to take this city, man. Um, there are not many people up there. You don't even need to weary out the army. Just send two or three divisions, contingents up there, and it's going to be a, a piece of cake, and, and we will take it. Joshua knows they need to take Ai for strategic reasons. The thing is that the Israelites are all infantry. They have not got any horses. And the Egyptians, for example, um, and even the Canaanites had horses and had chariots, and they were down there in the valley, and I mean, they could just come rolling through with their chariots and just absolutely overrun them. They've got to take Ai, which is just up in the mountains, and it will become a stronghold, a place from which they can defend themselves. And 
David will eventually take all of the mountains and Solomon will turn them into fortified tax booths, really, and make a ton of money as the Egyptians and the Chaldeans are going back and forth up and down the valley in the fertile crescent there. So they've got to take it. But then something goes terribly wrong. When we look at the text, the first thing we find is that there is absolutely no mention of the Lord in the report brought by the, by the spies. If you go back to the previous time that the spies had gone in to look at Jericho, for example, this is what they said to, to Joshua. The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. They are counting on the blessing of the Lord. They're recognizing him. They're naming him. You know, there are times when in our church or in our lives, maybe in your business or your career right now or in your family, you know there are strategic things that you need to do. That's perfectly okay. That's part of godly wisdom. But we've got to be careful. Here's what um, James, the brother of Jesus, said in his letter. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears before a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Um, you know, the danger is really not when things are going in a most difficult way for us. Because that reminds us that our strength is made perfect in weakness and we're depending on the Lord. The real danger is when things are going great in our church. The real danger is when things are going in well in our life and we say, yep, I'll do that. We'll take that. That'll be no problem at all. When that lack of humility is no longer found in our lives and we're no longer naming the name of the Lord as the source of our help, we're already setting ourselves up for trouble. But the second thing is in the text, there is no mention of the ark of the Lord. Um, when Israel went through the Jordan, the ark went in front, and when they were crossing the Jordan, the ark was there. And when they took Jericho last week, the ark was in the middle of the warriors as they circled around the city. If you go back to the time when the Israelites crossed over the Jordan, this is what we read. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. That's all sites there. Um, see, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. See, the thing about the ark is that it represented God's covenant promises. Under, it's kind of like the Lord's table, seriously. Underneath it in there was the manna with which he had fed them in the wilderness. Underneath it in there was the rod of Aaron that had budded, which reminded them that the Lord had guided them. And in there were the two tablets of the Lord, which reminded them of how the Lord wanted them to live their lives. And on the top of it, there was what's called the mercy seat, that when they sinned, the blood of the lamb would be sprinkled there on the top of the ark. 
And it was a kind of a, a throne seat in the ancient world. It had poles that it could be carried as if their king would be carried into battle. It represented, like baptism and the Lord's Supper and the Lord's table, it represented the Lord's presence and the Lord's promises among his people. And they were explicitly told to take it into battle, and they didn't bother to. No problem getting up the hill to Ai. There are not many are up there. We'll take them out. And there is um, no mention also of Joshua. And you remember his name means God saves. So we need to have the name Joshua being invoked when they're going into battle. It's not that Joshua couldn't delegate or something like that. But we were explicitly told that when Joshua was ordained for this task back in Numbers 27, that we read this. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of man, in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. He's to stand before Eliezer, the priest, who will um, obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he, he, Joshua, and the entire community of Israelites will go out, and they will come in at his command. He's supposed to go to the priest and ask him, does the Lord want us to do this? He, Joshua, whose name means God saved, he's supposed to be in there with them in battle. But he will take them up there. There's a small job ahead of us. Don't worry about it. Um, Joshua, you can, say, you can stay home. Don't worry about it at all. Guys, uh, I'm a dad, all right, so I can talk to you, huh? I wish there was some way I could get your wives to close their ears for a minute. But it's not going to work. And besides, I'm going to get all kinds of compliments afterwards for saying what I'm about to say. Um, guys, we got to be in there in the battle too, okay? I know very often you're out there fighting the battle to provide and protect for our families. But spiritually, we have to be engaged. We can't let it go, okay? So... Um, here is um, all of this, and, and not only are there three things that are not mentioned, the name of the Lord, the ark of the Lord, or Joshua being involved, but there are three attitudes that are present that are absolutely disastrous. Look at it in verse 3. Do not have all the people go up, said the spies, but let about two or three contingents go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, because there are only a few of them up there. They are absolutely become arrogant. Not all the people will have to go up to, up to Ai to take them up. You do remember that pride goes before a fall. You understand why it is when things are going well? It's actually more spiritually dangerous for us. And then when we're in the battle and depending on the Lord. And they're not only arrogant, but they're self-confident. Ah, send two or three contingents to take it, for only a few men are up there. Uh, it's self-confidence, okay? Now, I'm not trying to say that we don't live our lives with confidence. We are to live our lives with confidence. We are to lead with confidence. We are to live in confidence, but it is confidence in the Lord. Um, some point in my ministry in Miami, I, I can't even remember the crisis because um, I have a bad memory anyway. But 
I remember a crisis coming up. And I remember thinking and saying to the Lord, Lord, we've been through this before. You brought us through before. You will bring us through again. And I remember looking in the mirror, as it were, and saying, is that you speaking, Steve? Have you finally learned after all this time that you can be confident in the Lord? Lead confidently. Live confidently. But not in self Confidence, because in self-confidence, pride goes before a fall. And then just one more thing, the people have become lazy. Um, do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few, says the, the, um, the, the spies. The word for toil or weary um, that appears in the text appears in only one other place in all of the Old Testament. And not surprisingly, it appears in the book of Ecclesiastes to give us wisdom. Here it is. A fool's work wearies him. He does not even know the way to town. I'm sorry to tell you, but life has real work in it. You know that. You know that life has real toil in it. You know that our spiritual life has real work in it. You know that we don't just turn up the church when we feel like it. We we, we plan it and we build in on it. That's why you're all here this morning. And that, that's just absolutely awesome. Um, but, you know, what were they tired from? Marching around Jericho? That wasn't a very big city, you know. Yeah, they had to go in and mop up once the walls fell, I agree. Um, but this is just laziness. This is just arrogance. This is just self-confidence. And and, and we got to watch out for it, okay? The results of all of this is absolutely devastating. They go up to Ai, and now I'm going to tell you the English rendering of the name. It means ruins. They go up to ruins. They get up to the gate, and the text doesn't tell us what happened. All we know is that the limited number of people, of warriors in Ai, came down upon the Israelite few contingents that had gone up to take them out. And the text shows us the humility of it. And chased them down the hill. It literally says that. They chased them down the hill into the stone quarry. <laughs> can, you, can you see that? You go up to ruins and you come back ruined. It's an absolutely tragic moment for the children of Israel. And it is filled with such pathos. And we read, and the hearts of the people melted and became like water. In the past, um, when they were going into Jericho, do you remember that Rahab had said, our hearts are trembling when we heard about you guys? Well, now it's not the enemies who are having a nervous breakdown. It's the children of God are having a nervous breakdown because they've gone up the ruins in all of their self-confidence and they've come back utterly ruined. What do we do, Westdown? <laughs> what do we do, Stephen, when we find that we have been ruined? The first thing, and here um, it really is wonderful, that they humble themselves. Joshua, we are told, okay, Joshua is getting involved. And the elders, we are told, they humble themselves. Um, I think it's in, in verse 6. Joshua tore his clothes and he fell on the earth on his face. 
Notice these words, before the ark of the Lord. Previously, that was missing, right? They fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Look, this communion table is close as we'll come to the ark of the Lord. The ark is the Old Testament representation of what is here. When we're ruined, we come to the Lord's table. And we see the bread broken as the body of Christ was broken for us. And we see the wine poured out as his blood was poured out for us. And we realize that the top of the ark was the mercy seat where the blood of the lamb was sprinkled, representing their forgiveness as we have sprinkled water on the head of these beautiful um, kids representing the washing away of our sins. We come to the table, come to the table this morning, okay? Not because you're perfect. If you think you're perfect, maybe you could stay out. Come because we're sinners. Come because we know what it means to fail. Come because we know what it means to be ruined. Humble ourselves and come to the table gladly and indeed joyfully. And then the next thing that, does, that Joshua does is he pours out his heart to the Lord in verse 7. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Now, he's getting into some dangerous territory here, is Joshua, because he's complaining. And the Israelites, you remember, complained for 40 years in the wilderness. So, you know, they had it perfected. Um, but there's incidences of David, for example, and Jeremiah. Oh, my Jeremiah told the Lord, I wish I had never been born. Um, complaining to the Lord. And here's the good thing, however. We can pour out our hearts to the Lord. We can tell him all our fears. We can tell him all the things that are overcoming him, us. We can tell him about our anxieties, and we can tell him frankly. Why? Because he is gracious, because he's kind, because he is loving, and because he's merciful. And because when the prodigal comes home, he just loves to put his arms around us and take us in. It's gorgeous. And then the um, other thing that they do, um, Joshua is concerned for the glory of the Lord. It's in verses 18, 8 to 9. Instead of saying, oh, what are the elders going to think about me now? Wow, I really struck out. The people of Israel are going to be grumbling against me. That doesn't seem to be on his mind so much. I'm afraid that when I strike out, all that stuff is often on my mind. This is what he says, O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your great name? What then will you do for your great name? When I'm ruined, my temptation is to repent because, you know, I'm really disappointed in myself. No, Joshua comes in repentance to the Lord because the thing that's really getting through to him is, what are people going to say about your name, O Lord? You remember when David sinned and committed adultery and arranged for murder? And he said, against you and you only have I sinned. You see, when, when, when we're ruined, we brought down the flag 
that has been flying over our heads into the mud. And when we know what God has done for us, it's his glory that we want. And so this is true repentance because it is the glory of the Lord that he wants among, above everything else. And then finally, of course, it's actually in verse 1. And it, it, um, it takes up the second half of the chapter. Verse so one says, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabidi, son of Zeraph of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Like Ananias and Sapphira, I don't know if you, how well you know your, your, your Acts of the Apostles, they, they were two people who, who held back some of their possessions for themselves, which they had every right to do. It's just they pretended they'd given it all away. Um, their hypocrisy brought judgment upon them, and Ananias and Sapphira were struck down and were excluded from the community of, of the church. Um, so indeed, also, this um, family became excluded um, and, and struck down. Sin's a weird thing, isn't it? We've been, they were told to destroy the city, but to save the gold and silver and the treasures because they were going to be used to build the house of the Lord, etc., etc. And he takes some, and I guess digs a hole and hides it under the bottom of the tent and tells his family, I suppose, don't let anybody know what we've got down there. It's ridiculous. I mean, what's he going to do? Come out in some designer wear and say, oh, look how I'm looking nice these days. And everyone's going to wonder, where did you get that from? Um, when sin takes up residence in our lives, it makes fools of us, okay? And it also has effect upon those who are around us, okay? It, it affects our whole family. It can affect our whole church. and. We know the gospel that the penalty of sin has been paid for in our lives. We know also that the Holy Spirit comes to live in us so that the power of sin is broken in our lives. And um, brothers and sisters, um, the presence of sin is not entirely gone out of our lives. And it's one heck of a struggle. Okay, I'm here to tell you that. But we got to deal with it radically as best we can by the grace of God. Because when we fly the flag of forgiveness, we want to take all of these things that are not pleasing to the Lord and get rid of them in our lives. And so here's this beautiful passage. I love it. You have to be careful not to misquote me now, okay? There are some times after we have been ruined that are even more precious than before. When we discover forgiveness, when we realize why it happened, and when we come back to the Lord and by his grace learn to rely on him and ask that his glory be seen in our lives, it's one of the most beautiful things. It's sweet. And you have the opportunity this morning, because here's the ark, so to speak. Here are the promises of the Lord, the bread of our Lord Jesus Christ broken for our forgiveness. Here is the wine, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for our forgiveness. And here you are, you and I, 
We're being invited to come to the table, to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. You don't think you need the Lord's forgiveness, please don't come. Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, out of the ruins of my life, you have invited me to your table to know your forgiveness. As bread strengthens the body, as wine, may I say it reverently, even intoxicates, as it were, so may I be strengthened, and so may I be intoxicated by the joy of who you are and what you have done for us. This is the mercy seat. This is the representation of the ark. This is our joy and this is our privilege, having learned to understand our ruin, to come now find his grace.